This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. I'm in Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16 verse 2 says, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And I couldn't help but pause when I came to that verse because it speaks of self-justification. And it's not the only passage in Proverbs that speaks of self-justifying behavior. This is the same text if you drop down to verse 25 that says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that actually is repeated at least twice in uh, the book of Proverbs. And so I wanted to take some time to talk about self-justification from this text. It's a Somebody once said that self-justification is a treacherous servant, and yet every man refuses to part with it completely. Now, why is that? Why are we so inclined to think, as the proverb says, all my ways are pure when we're evaluating ourselves? And, and if given just a moment, we can come up with all sorts of justifications for our behavior, especially if someone's going to be critical of us, you know, about a choice that we've made or, uh, you know, a choice that we're going to make, a course of action that we're choosing to make. We have all sorts of ludicrous justifications and excuses, especially when we're, we're being censured by somebody. And then we camp on those things and we have the hardest time letting them go. And there's a lot of scriptures that speak to this tendency and I think explain this tendency. And one I want to seize upon is Jesus's teaching about a Pharisee who trusted in himself that he was righteous. And you can read the full account. It's a parable that he tells in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And you can read that that full account. Um, I won't do it for the sake of time today, but Jesus tells this parable to those whom the Bible says trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Right, And so we get this picture of a Pharisee and a tax collector praying together. There's some distance apart. But we are observing both of these people as they're praying. And at the end of the comparison, Jesus says it's the tax collector who went down to his house justified because, remember, he was beating his chest and crying out for mercy. He was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. And what you notice is as you read that text, again, directed to people who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous, and the implication is they're the ones who don't go down to their house justified. Um, you'll see in that individual, the Pharisee, as he's recounting all the things that he does in his prayer, how he pays tithes and of all that he gets and, and he fasts so many times a week and, and so on and so forth. What you'll see is a guy, again, whose ways are pure in his own eyes and he's justifying himself. And yet when Jesus gets to his conclusion when he is weighed by the Lord, that individual is found severely wanting. And you'll also see an individual who is eat up with pride and whose ego is absolutely crushing his soul because he can't stop thinking about all the things that he gets right and is even praying about those things and even says, I thank you that I'm not even like this tax collector over here. Um, that you know that he's that he's praying next to. So, th- this is the problem of self-justification. As with all sin, it's deeply rooted in human pride. Notice how he's comparing himself to other people, right? With the tax collector, he bypasses all comparisons 
and he's not interested in naming all the things that he's done right in the week, but he's telling God what he's done wrong. And he's being honest about that. And he's humbling himself before God and he's asking for mercy. Right. And this is the answer. Then if we want to be done with self-justification, right, we have, well, first of all, we have a tendency toward self-justification because we're prideful. And so if we want to be done with self-justification as with all sin, then we have to be done with our pride. We have to continually fight it. There's a lady named Carol Tarvis who said, most people when directly confronted by evidence that they are wrong, do not change their point of view or course of action, but justify it even more tenaciously. And she says, even irrefutable evidence is rarely enough to pierce the mental armor of self-justification. And I think she nails it. I think that's exactly what Solomon and so many Bible writers are talking about. And as we think about what they're saying collectively, what those what those passages are teaching us, that if my thoughts and words and actions must be justified by a standard apart from myself, and they have to, right? That's what the Word of God is teaching, that it is the standard by which all my thoughts, words, and actions are going to be weighed, and God is the authority behind that. That's, that you know, God is going to be the judge and justifier. And when I recognize that any of those things are out of sync with His standard, any, any aspect of my life is out of sync with His standard, then I need to be honest and humble and change accordingly. Right? And, and He wants to help me do that and says that He will. And He will. He has provided the means by which all of my sins and transgressions and all the things that are out of sync with His Word can be forgiven. And that's through His Son. And that's how I can be justified. That's why the tax collector went down to his house justified. He See, he recognized those shortcomings. And he knew that all he could do was ask for mercy. And the same is true today. right? And God promises to give that, give that mercy. However, however, if I think I don't have to justify my thoughts, words, and actions to anyone but myself, well, then I become incapable of change. And that's the picture of the Pharisee who's trusting in himself that he's righteous, that he is justified. And he's so confident, in fact, that he can even say to God, here's what I do. Look how justified I am, how right I am. I, I, I can do no wrong, in other words. And that's the complete opposite attitude that we're to have. You know, if we find ourselves in that position, then even the wrong things that we do, we begin to spin as right. That's why Solomon says all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. If I'm justifying myself, my selfishness will never really be selfishness. I'll call it so many other different things, but I'll never call it being selfish. Right? Even uh, you see an example of this in Mark chapter 7, verses 10 through 12, where Jesus is speaking to these individuals who um, are dishonoring their parents by not providing for them. And so he calls them out and says, you know, if you say whatever I have that would be useful to my mother or my father is Corbin, which means it's dedicated to God, then you don't allow that individual to provide for his mom and dad as the scripture teaches. Right. So it was a way they thought they had found a, a loophole past that that law. Okay, well, I, I know I'm obligated and God wants me 
to provide for my parents and honor them if I'm, I'm capable when I'm capable and provide for them if I'm capable of doing that. Uh, but if I say, well, I'll just call it Corbin and that is dedicated to God, then it's not, uh, then I'm relieved of that obligation. You see, they were, they were just being selfish and they thought that doing it in the name of God or invoking the name of God was going to excuse their selfishness. Right. You see what kind of dirty tricks that we can play on ourselves and other people. Right. And we can go to great lengths to justify ourselves and we can make crimes against others honest and heroic like Pilate in Matthew 27 and verse 25 when he knows that there is that Jesus has done nothing wrong and even says I have I found no guilt in him or anything deserving of punishment and then you know he he brings out a bowl and he washes his hands in front of all the people and he says I am innocent of this man's blood right so he knew that he was participating in a miscarriage of justice, that Jesus was innocent, and yet he's afraid of the people. He's afraid of getting in trouble uh, with Caesar. And so he thinks just by uh, making this big show, see, like I'm washing my hands and I'm innocent, this is all on you, as if that was going to make his participation okay. right? Jesus says, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin, right? So he's indicting Pilate in that verse, right? But Pilate is saying later, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really the hero here. I'm innocent. It's you guys who are, who are messing up severely. Right? He was justifying himself. And the same is true in the parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan, right? Those individuals, the Levite um, and, and the Hebrew who passed by, the man lying in the dirt, right? They, they, you know, if we're going to be self-justifying, they're the ones who are making the courageous choice, right? Maybe they're justifying it in the name of their own safety or something like this, right? And the, and the reason Jesus tells that parable to begin with, remember in Luke chapter 10, is because somebody wanted to, you know, one of the lawyers wanted to justify himself with the question, well, who is my neighbor after Jesus told him, or after he rather told Jesus in response to Jesus' question, the second greatest command is love your neighbor as yourself. And he tries to justify himself and say, well, okay, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells that parable. And so there's, you know, just example after example of self-justification. And it's such a danger. Uh, a fellow named Hugh Nibley says that self Justification is the exhilarating exercise of explaining my ways are God's ways. You see, we get it, we get it backwards. You know, it's that Pharisee in Luke 18 all over again. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, there's only one way master and one scale that will give us an accurate reading of who we are. And it's not ourselves. It's not in man to direct his own ste- his own steps, Jeremiah says. If we want to know who we really are and where we really stand with God, well, then we have to evaluate ourselves in light of his truth, his standard, not our own. And Jesus says in John 12, 48, that the one who rejects me and does not accept my teachings as one who judges him already The word which I spoke, that is what will judge him on the last day.
Well, let's move on to another text, Proverbs chapter 18. This is another verse that stuck out to me as I was reading through the book of Proverbs this week. Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2 say, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And this jumped out to me for a number of reasons, because people can isolate themselves for good things, right? Jesus, we read in the New Testament, he isolated himself. He went to a solitary place, but he did that to pray, uh, and he did that regularly. It says in Mark chapter 1 that he would get up while it was still dark, and he would he would go to a, uh, a solitary place and pray. And so people can isolate themselves for a number of different reasons, but the Bible warns us that one of those reasons can be nothing more than selfishness. The one who seeks his own desire is isolating himself sometimes. And notice it connects this this selfish, self-imposed isolation to a rejection of what? Of wisdom. He's breaking out against all sound judgment. Your Bible might say he's quarreling against all sound wisdom. And so if we find ourselves deliberately avoiding those who love us and are concerned for our spiritual well-being and we know that those individuals are spiritually grounded and and they're they're striving to do the right thing we need to ask ourselves why why would we avoid people like that why would we isolate ourselves from people like that is it because we fear accountability we don't maybe they are going to express some concern that they have for us and they have counsel for us or we're, or they have in the past and we're tired of hearing it we don't want to hear it anymore you know, what What comes to mind? And we need to test it. We need to ask ourselves, why is that a concern for me? And I need to honestly consider the possibility that selfishness is really what is the root here. And if that's the case, if I'm isolating myself because of my selfishness and because I'm breaking out against sound judgment, I just don't want to hear it. Well, then I'm I'm one small step away and may already be in a place where I'm just closing my ears to the very source of all wisdom and counsel. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4 say, For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but with itching ears they will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. So they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's not verbatim Proverbs that we just read, Proverbs 18, but man, does it sound a whole lot like what that individual is saying, right? So you have people here, Paul is warning Timothy about who are going to separate themselves. They're going to self-isolate. And what's the reason? They don't want to hear the truth anymore, right? So it's it's the same pattern of behavior, right? So they're isolating. If anybody is allowed to come to them, who is it? Well, it's the people who are going to feed whatever selfish desire they have. They're gathering around themselves teachers who suit their own desires. And again, the reason being is they can't stand to hear sound judgment. They can't stand to hear the truth anymore. And I think that the other thing this text is emphasizing to us is the importance of listening. That's the second part of this statement, verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, right? He's self-isolating. He's breaking out against sound judgment. He doesn't want to hear it. Why? He takes no pleasure in understanding. He's selfish, and he only wants to express his own opinion. And so this reinforces the value of 
listening to us then now that it should be a priority and you know one of the constant refrains throughout the book of proverbs is this exhortation to listen i never noticed it before but as i've been reading through it this past week um in so many different ways it's you know it's it's worded differently but over and over again you'll see the principle you know restrain your lips watch what you say uh, and then that's usually coupled very closely with, you know, listen to your mom, listen to your dad, listen to your teachers, get understanding, get wisdom, listen. You know, it's it's worded in all these different ways, um, but it contains the same message that's being encapsulated here. And that we see in the New Testament, too, in the book of James, right? Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And all these ideas are are married together. Again, if I'm isolating myself, it can be an indication of selfishness. And another symptom, again, is a refusal to listen to truth. And I'm constantly expressing excuses and justification, self-justification, just like we just talked about, and my own opinions. And I need to be careful of that. If I'm going to be a wise, honest, sincere person, then that kind of person just isn't interested inventing their their spirit expressing their own opinions nonstop. there's a fellow who recently said that waiting for your turn to speak is not the same thing as listening and i think he's exactly right i wouldn't agree with everything he says but i think that's exactly right and i think that's biblical and so in listening to you know bible class teachers and elders and parents that is the pattern God is setting before us and and to all people give give them an ear you know until they give you a reason not to obviously you're going to sit and listen to someone who's being rude and nasty or using profanity or just you know wants to be mean you know you have to get yourself out of that situation but when we're talking about you know our, our conversations and you know our, our regular everyday relationships with family and friends and of course those are brethren in the, in the church you know, that we need to be willing to listen for wisdom and listen to show we care and listen to give in order to give the best kind of feedback if it's required. And and listen knowing even their faults and their foibles and shortcomings as we all have. And even if we're listening to their counsel and, and it's wrong, it's it's unbiblical that whatever they're telling us we're not going to be able to tell them why or be as well received when we answer them if we don't first take the time to sincerely patiently hear what they have to say and listen and jesus is a tremendous example of this i think of that time in luke chapter 2 when he's 12 years old and he gets separated from his parents he's in jerusalem and they are like three days away and they come back and they find him in the temple and he's sitting among the teachers in the temple and it says that he was in verse 46 listening to them and asking them questions right so here you have the creator of the universe as a 12 year old boy in the midst of his greatest creation on earth made in his image and he is listening to them He is having an exchange with them, asking them questions. And then a few verses later, it says, you know, after his mom and dad find him and they are upset and he and then he teaches them why he was there. 
And, you know, his mother treasured up all these things in his heart, but it says that he continued in verse 51 in submission to them. And so again, that would entail, you know, he, he was a perfect example in every way, even as a young man listening to his parents. And he would do the same as an, as an adult. And so this is not just, you know, listening can, you know, can easily turn into, and, you know, exhortations to listening can easily turn into like a, just a cornball feel good message about, you know, being sincere and it's just a nice thing to do and courtesy and blah, blah, blah. But that, it, but it goes deeper than that. And those things are true, by the way, it is nice and a courtesy to, to listen to others, but it goes beyond that. It's not just a matter of that or even just a matter of wisdom for the sake of wisdom, but it's a condition for being more like Christ. If we're following in his footsteps all real wisdom flows from him, and we see that in his life, and we see that that's the kind of person he was. And so that's what we need to resolve to do. Thanks for taking the time to listen today.